Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Today I wish to speak about a personal matter that is of real concern to my wife and me. From a purely human perspective, of course. From God's perspective, he knows all things from the beginning from the end. It's Alpha and Omega. He chooses what to build and what to diminish. He makes the sun rise on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. There are a number of psalms that speak to this and similar themes. Culminating in the ultimate expression of the human heart that is in anguish, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, I guess I cannot claim to have arrived at such a low point as that, but I must tell you that for over a year now we've been struggling with the diminishing of business sales at our business in Palmdale. Expenses throughout have remained high, though we've trimmed as deeply as we could to try and make ends meet. The recession that we've been experiencing in our Bahamas, as well as all over the free world, has played havoc with our results, and it doesn't want to end. Regardless of what the politicians and the forecasters tell us, from a purely business perspective, as well as common sense understanding, you cannot pay out more than you take in for too long before you find that all the money has fled the coop. You don't have to be a world-famous economist to know this truth. We've tried many strategies, talked to a lot of people. We've looked for a young person or a younger couple who would like a ready-made ministry in which they could serve the Lord. They could make a go of it. No one yet presented themselves to us, so we've made the tough decision to close shop, and the process has begun. With increasing higher discounts, we are offering the stock and equipment that we have to the public over the next several weeks. By the end of October, unless someone steps forward soon, the store will close its doors permanently. When that happens, a landmark, the historic Christian ministry resource that has been in existence for more than 40 years will be gone. You realize by now that I'm speaking about the Christian bookshop on Rosetta Street in Palmdale. I apologize for speaking of personal matters on this broadcast, but you who listen to Echoes of Calvary are the very people whom we have served all these years. Most of our customers have been pastors, church leaders, choir directors, and many individual Christians. We've tried to be a valuable resource for the church in the Bahamas. For a number of reasons, some of which I've named, we cannot continue in business any longer. One significant reason that has brought us to this conclusion is that my wife and I have reached the age when most business people think of retiring. As a matter of fact, it's gone past that date. As well as passing that age several years ago, we have children and grandchildren in several places in the States and here in Nassau. We miss them tremendously and have missed some of their growing. It's time to spend some time with them before the Lord calls us home. So reluctantly and sadly, we'll be closing the Christian bookshop soon. 
you should come in and see if there's anything else you can use while the prices are low. If someone feels a tug of interest that maybe a small Christian ministry might be something that you can pursue, then please come in and see us real soon. And God bless you all and thanks for your support over the years.
Luther's message for today. Here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Good morning. Greetings once again in our Savior's name. We are looking at the subject of worship. And last week, we offered a definition of worship based on two biblical texts. John 4.23 is the first one. In this text, Jesus says, and I quote him now, True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. End of quote. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. God is seeking people to worship him in the proper way. These are the only kind of worshipers, by the way, that can offer genuine, acceptable worship to God. Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. In our second text, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul states that only Christians qualify for this experience. Listen as I read his words. Quote, For it is we who are the circumcision. Now, in context, that is Paul's term for believers who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. The old nature has been cut off from them, circumcised, as it were, as it were from them. So he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. That's an important statement there. Who put no confidence in the flesh. End of quote. Notice, a Christian is defined as those who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, putting these two texts together with the biblical concept of confession, as stated by the Apostle John in 1 John 1, nine, we proposed the following as a biblical definition of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. I quote now the definition. To worship in spirit and in truth means to give honor or worth to God with a pure heart cleansed by the blood of Christ through confession and through the enablement of the Holy Spirit apart from fleshly motivation or distraction. Now, actually, upon reflection, I would change the word distraction to influence or even to motivation. So, let me repeat my working biblical definition of worship. And please note, it is taken from the text, not imposed upon it from the outside. So here's a definition based upon these biblical texts. To worship in spirit and in truth means to give honor or worth to God with a pure heart, cleansed by the blood of Christ through confession and through the enablement of the Holy Spirit apart from fleshly motivation or influence. End of quote. Now, last time, we considered the first phrase of the definition, to give honor or worth to God. We did that in our last message. In this message, we emphasize that worship is always Godward, never manward. Worship is designed to please God, not man. So let's continue now with the second phrase of our definition, which reads, with a pure heart, cleansed by the blood of Christ through confession. David explains both the necessity for and means of having a clean heart when we approach God and worship in Psalm 15. Listen how he states it in this psalm. He begins with a question. 
Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? In other words, he's asking, who is eligible and qualified to come into God's presence to worship him? Who is an acceptable worshiper? This is the question that David is asking here. The answer is given in verses 2 through 5. Listen as I read the word of God. Verse 2. This is an answer now to the question, who is able to worship God acceptably? It is he whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow men, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. That is, they will never fear entering the presence of God to worship him. He or she will be an acceptable worshiper of unto God. Now, Jesus teaches the same truth in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, when he says this, and I quote, this is Jesus speaking now, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. End of quote. And of course, the Apostle John assures us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse or purify us from all unrighteousness. That is 1 John 1, verse 9. In other words, what he's saying here is, any and all worship offered to God without self-examination and confession of sin is totally unacceptable to God. God will not receive or accept any worship, no matter how elaborate, sincere, or dignified, if it is offered by a worshiper with unclean hands or heart, meaning one who harbors unconfessed and therefore unforgiven sin in his life. The Apostle Paul, speaking on the basis of direct revelation from Christ himself, teaches the same truth in 1 Corinthians concerning participation in the Lord's Supper. Listen to his words, beginning at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment upon himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, that means have died. 
But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. End of quote. My friends, the Bible is clear. God does not receive or accept the worship of anyone unless that person first asks for cleansing from personal sins. That is why I believe it is essential that provision is made for such to take place in our corporate worship. Opportunity for personal confession must be a part of our corporate worship services. Without it, and taking into consideration those who might take the initiative to undergo this cleansing prior to or during the service itself, most, if not of all we do in such services, will never be acceptable by God. The first two elements in our definition of worship that is acceptable to God then teaches two basic principles. First, worship must focus on God alone, not ourselves. It must be pleasing to Him, not necessarily to us. Second, worship must be prefaced by confession of sin. God will not receive worship from hearts and lips that have not been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ through confession. But now let us consider the third element in our definition of acceptable worship, and it is this. It is through the enablement of the Holy Spirit apart from fleshly influence or motivation. Now, of course, this is what Paul alludes to in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, when he says that Christians are those who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh. This Spirit-enabled worship, free of all selfish, carnal, and fleshly motivation, is what separates the genuine worshiper from the non-genuine, hypocritical worshiper. And if one thing we as believers need to be freed from in order to worship in spirit and in truth is from our attachment to dependence upon and influence of the things of the world, including music. The flesh and the devil cannot have any part of our worship. It is impossible for one to do an honest, objective, and unbiased evaluation of most of what we call worship services today and not conclude that such services are dominated by the desire to entertain ourselves rather than to examine, to receive rather than to give, to please self rather than to please God. This truth is nowhere more vividly portrayed than in the story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt under the mighty hand of God in a symbolic way. Do you recall the reason God gave to Moses that he was in turn to give to Pharaoh as to why he should let his people go? The reason was that they might worship him. That was the reason for the release and redemption of Israel from Egypt, that they might worship the true and living God. But Pharaoh adamantly refused to let them go. He hindered their worship of God as he desired. Now, spiritually speaking, Egypt is always seen as a picture of the world and Pharaoh is seen as the ruler of Egypt, as the god of this world, the devil. So we could say, for purpose of illustration, the world and the devil were preventing God's people from worshipping him in spirit and in truth. Notice exactly how this was done. Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 to 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he goes out to the water, wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him, 
and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a serpent. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now, you have not listened. Pharaoh has already refused God's request once to let his people go. But again he refuses. So the first plague is inflicted upon Egypt. The Nile River turns into blood. But again Pharaoh refuses to let the people go. So God inflicts the land with a third plague, gnats. Pharaoh still refuses. So the fourth plague is imposed, flies. Now he begins to bend a little. It says in verse 25, Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. Notice now, sacrifice to your God here in the land. This is the first way Satan tempts to contaminate our worship, by worshiping according to the customs and dictates of the world, not in spirit and in truth. He said, go, sacrifice to God in this country, meaning go worship God in the world, in a worldly fashion, in the flesh, which is contrary to Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Now, much more is taught in this, but our time is gone for the day, and so we will end here and pick it up next time, Lord willing. Until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act upon these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great commander's promise He will surely come again I am listening every moment For the mighty trumpet sound What a time we'll have together When the saints shall leave the ground And our toiling will be happen in a moment Jesus Christ could come again
calling 